Thank you. Those of you who are leading us into worship, special treat for the special music this morning. That was a blessing. It always is a blessing. Well, how is this for a sermon title? The gospel. Not too good to be true. Too good, in fact, to keep to ourselves. It's a little wordy. I hope it's not too cumbersome as you think about it. Would you agree that while there, there are indeed many people who believe that the gospel is too good to be true, not only do we believe that it is true, but we believe that it is the most important truth that exists. If it is also true that the gospel is intended for men and women of all people groups of all nations of all time since Jesus, then it is incumbent upon us to get the word out. We must not keep it to ourselves. We have to pass it on. Well, with this thought ringing in our hearts and minds, we come to the end of this series on the 29th chapter, which is essentially about finding our role as a church in God's story. I'm not going to spend time reviewing the entire series. We've been doing that a lot as we, we go. But I will state that it's clear from scripture that, scripture that our mission as a church is to make disciples of all nations. And the starting point for making disciples is sharing Christ with those who don't know him. Actually, the process <clears throat> begins before we share Christ And the challenge it has laid out for us in our text today is to live intentional lives with regard to spreading the gospel. Now let me see if I can drown the frog that is in my throat. <clears throat> our church is committed to disciple making. If you... <clears throat> were to look at us objectively, you would say, yes, making disciples is important to the church. Well, it's important to, those, to us to make disciples of those who already know Jesus. Do we, though, as a church, seek to spread the gospel of Jesus to those who don't know Christ? Yes! Well, yes, and sort of. You heard this morning Keisha talking about an opportunity for us to share the gospel with those who don't know Christ through VBS. <clears throat> you know, I've heard love expressed in a lot of ways. I've never heard anybody say, if you have a sewing machine, I love you. <clears throat> Apparently, Scott had an awesome sewing machine in college. and <clears throat> <clears throat> Keisha was attracted and... The rest is history. I mean, look, our home groups have begun to find ways to intentionally engage their neighbors uh, and, and those around them. This summer, we want all of our home groups to focus on outreach, uh, to, to intentionally reach out to those who don't know Jesus. We support, support local and, and foreign missions at a fairly impressive level. Our goals are much loftier than what we already support. 
but we do support at a pretty good level. Every Sunday morning, as Sean mentioned a few weeks ago, we seek to communicate the truth that the only way that we will ever be rightly related with God is not has nothing to do with our good works. Good works follow what it is that brings us to Christ, but it's repentance in faith. I mean, repentance in our, of our sins and faith in the fact that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins that makes us right with God. I hope you recognize the value that the gospel has long beyond the day that you first put your trust in Christ. And if you can't remember that, there are some of you here today that cannot remember the day that you trusted Christ as your Savior. And that's okay as long as you affirm right now that your hope of heaven is in Jesus. 1 John 5, 1 in the, in the present tense says that the one who is believing that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Don't worry about trying to figure out, did I say it right? Did I know enough? How I don't even remember. What is your trust right now? Where are you trusting as far as your relationship with God? If your trust is in what Jesus did on the cross for you, then you are saved. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> We talk about the gospel every Sunday morning in one form or another. We talk about it with regard to those who are outside of Christ and with regard to those who are inside of Christ, who believe in Jesus every Sunday morning. And furthermore, when people come to grace, when you invite people to come and they listen and they hear the gospel and they see brothers and sisters loving one another, they're wooed. To Jesus Christ. It's happened quite a few times over the years. That's all part of our outreach. And it's good. But it's time for us, as the body known as Grace Community Church, the body of Christ known as Grace Community Church, to get mega serious about sharing Christ in our communities. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 9. Verses 19 to 27. And since the first two words in our text are for though, may need a little context. It, it, and it won't take but just a second. This whole chapter, Paul is talking about his call, his charge to share the gospel with Gentiles and Jews alike. And, and the whole first part of the section, he's, he's talking about uh, compensation for the gospel. He's saying, look, I have every right for you to, to expect you, Corinthians, to support me financially. But I'm not doing that. I'm not taking a dime from anybody because I want it never to be said that <clears throat> you were the reason that I am living. You are, are, are padding my pockets and I am taking advantage of you. Obviously, there were other churches that did support Paul and he was grateful for it. But there was something going on in Corinth and he was trying to make sure that they understood <clears throat> that he was not <clears throat> going to be accused of having impure motives with regard to sharing the gospel. So in verse 19, he begins to talk about his all-consuming passion to share Jesus with those who don't know them. Paul's passion directed him to live intentionally and to challenge the Corinthians, to embrace the same level of passion for outreach that he had. So let's read our text, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 27, and let's stand, if you would, 
as we read. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. Literally, I beat my body black and blue. I pummel my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Father, we... stand before you today as those who are grateful to be able to call you Father because of Jesus. And we know in our hearts, and it's not deep in our hearts, we know right on the very surface, Lord, that that we don't have the same kind of passion that Paul had, most of us anyway. So we pray that as we read these words that we would sense not only a burden but an excitement building in our hearts to share Jesus with those who need Him. I pray that we would be open and responsive to Your Word on this day. In Christ's name, Amen. Thanks and be seated. Well, how many are going to the Olympics this summer? Anybody going to the uh, Olympics? (laughs) Yeah, don't we? Actually, uh, Allison's brother is going to be going to the Olympics, David. Uh, David Cotton, you may remember him. He preached here a couple of summers ago, uh, just right after we had gotten married in, in, in June of 2010. And June 14th, I remember that, honey. So I want to make sure you know that I know that. June 14th. I wanted to get married on the 13th, but she said, uh-uh. And, and we understand why. 13th, not a good day. But um, David goes to the Olympics a lot. Uh, in fact, he's quite an interesting fellow. You probably didn't know this. He used to umpire tennis matches. Actually, he has umpired at Wimbledon and U.S. Open and 
umpired with John McEnroe. He's never been the same since, you know. Um, if you mention his name, a darkness comes over his face. It's, it's not a pleasant thing when he starts thinking about that. But David's going to be there this summer sharing Christ, he and his son Josh. So if, as you're watching the Olympics this summer, if you remember that, please pray for his efforts. Uh, David Fale was trying to go as well, Linda's brother, but he's not going to be able to make it. A lot of people are going to be going though because the world is gathering in London and they want to tell the world about the best news, the most important news there is, the best and important, most important truth that exists in the world today. Well, in our, our text this morning, the Apostle Paul uses an Olympic Games analogy to illustrate his point about the seriousness for, of, of Christians sharing Jesus to the lost. You may know that Athens, where the ancient Olympic Games were held, was some 45 miles east of Corinth. Everybody knew that, right? It, it was. But, and so the, the, the Corinthians would have been extremely familiar with the Olympic Games and the things that Paul was talking about, but they had an even closer example of the issues that Paul raised in his letter. Every two years, the Isthmian Games were held at Corinth. Second only in importance to the Olympic Games in the Roman Empire. So this was a big deal. They were close together, but this happened every two years. Olympics happened every four years. So, you know, there's this kind of excitement going on. Um, You think that we are serious about the NFL or NASCAR or cricket? Now, wait a minute. That's India. But there are one billion cricket fanatics in India, if you didn't know. You think we're excited about our sports today? These people were out downright fanatics about the Olympic Games. Um, When I say that the athletes at these Olympic Games and Isthmian Games had to train for 10 months and had to provide proof of training for 10 months before the Games, you're thinking... Ten months, really? I mean, our athletes, from the time they're born, they're groomed. They're, they grow up, it's year-round. But understand about this training period. For the, if you were a Roman citizen, and you, you had to be a Roman citizen to participate, if you were a Roman citizen, then you gave up a lot of rights uh, when you went to train for these games. It was, it was unlawful to whip a Roman citizen publicly flog a Roman citizen. You remember, don't you, when Paul was flogged at at Philippi and then he came and they came to him and and said, okay, you can go. He said, you have whipped us as Roman citizens and it scared the mess out of the leaders. And they came and apologized quickly. They said, oh, no, 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 we're so sorry. Please, please leave our city. Well, you could be whipped if you were training for the Olympics. I mean, just imagine. Justinius... You were slacking out there in practice today. To the whipping post you go, boy. And be beaten. Chad and Paul think that's a good idea. I don't know. Something about coaches, you know. (laughs) Uh, The last month of training was conducted close to the games in Corinth under the watchful eye of the officials who were putting on the game. Uh, They were sent, the athletes were sent to... The, um, to, the, to the games 
from, from the villages around every, well, all over the empire, but especially those that were not too terribly far away. You cannot imagine how much was riding on an athlete's performance when he came to the games. Now, if we were to learn uh, that the winner, male or female, or the, excuse me, the, the silver medal winner of the 100 meters this year is a Christian and somebody had connection with them, we'd be saying, hey, can you want to come and share a testimony? We have today the second fastest person in the world, fast, second fastest man or woman in the world going to share a testimony about Jesus. Well, not so in those early games. Uh, to finish second was an absolute disgrace. It was actually better not to compete in the games than it was to compete and lose. So during that last month of training, the athletes would kind of size up the competition. And if, it, and, and if they were certain they were going to lose, in the middle of the night, <coughs> they'd sneak out and get away. If an athlete finished second in his event, his own mother would sometimes refuse to acknowledge him back home. Can you imagine that? How'd you do, son? Well, Mom, I finished second by half of a second. I, I, I finished second. I could really use a little sympathy here. You know, I had a son who went to the Isthmian Games, and uh, I haven't heard from him. Does anybody know where he... Mom, I wonder what happened to my son. Just, it was awful. Finished second. Imagine what it would have been like to be a redskin in those days. <laughs> Look, I used to be a Redskins fan, so... Before the Panthers came into town. So what did the winner receive? A pine wreath that was obviously temporary. It would wither and die in relatively short order. However, everybody knew that the winner of the games would live in immortality and in infamy. Well, infamy might have a negative connotation. It, 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 they would be immortalized. And just to prove the point, I know several of you can do this, but somebody... Tell us the five winners of the boxing competition from A.D. 60 to A.D. 76 in the Isthmian Games. No, of course. It just passed. You get the idea, don't you, how big a deal the Isthmian Games were? Paul was saying, my passion for sharing the gospel is at the same level, but I want to tell you about the reward that I'm anticipating. It's not going to fade. It's not going to fade. It's an eternal reward. Let's read these last four verses of our text. When, when Paul spoke of disciplining his life for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. It's, it's not like, you know, we go and play golf and say, well, I'm just out here. Actually, I don't know any golfers that are just out there for the beauty of the, you know, we're, we're just, anytime you play golf, you, you, you know, you, well, at least you had a nice day. Well, you don't understand golf, apparently. Don't run, don't mess around with this. He says, run so that you may obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. All things. Their entire lives revolve around 
It's competition. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Hey, look, I'm a pretty good shadow boxer, you know. I can do it. Don't, I don't want to be in the ring, though. I discipline my body, though. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's like a runner at the beginning who false starts and you're out. Or he didn't meet the training requirements. You're disqualified. Doesn't mean he's not talking about losing his salvation. He's just saying, I don't want to be disqualified for participating for the prize. So let's acknowledge something right here from the beginning. Paul was not simply reporting that this is the way that he lived his life. He was, on, uh, however, charging those who were reading what he was saying to live their lives in the same way. Run, he said. You run, second person plural, that you may obtain it. He goes back and forth between I and we. They do it to receive a perishable crown. We do it to receive an imperishable crown. So isn't the charge of verse 24 for all of us to think this seriously about sharing Christ? We're going to make application from the whole passage in just a moment. But for the next 30 seconds to a minute, with the context of the Isthmian games in your mind, and with Paul illustrating the need for discipline and effort being expended in our lives for the spread of the gospel, read this silently and let the Holy Spirit do His work in your heart and mind. So there's no question that we are to have serious hearts and minds when we think about reaching the lost. And we are to set the standard of discipline that God expects in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the world that Paul spoke about was a very varied world. Very varied. Shouldn't have said that, tried to put that together. It's a varied world. There were all kinds of people in his world and he sought to minister to all of them. So let's back up in our text and see how Paul handled his interactions with these diverse groups of people. He, he begins this section by speaking of how he sees himself. A servant to all that he may present the gospel in whatever way the context demands. Look, you've heard this a hundred times from, from 95 different speakers. We like to think of ourselves as servants until somebody treats us like one. We, don't re- we like to be 
in our own minds, I'm a servant of the Lord. No, really we're not. Paul was. He was a servant to all of these people so that he could share the gospel with them. He, he, um, and this is very much, excuse me, this is very much like Paul's statement to the Romans where he said, I have an obligation to fulfill. I, I have an obligation to preach the gospel to the educated, to the uneducated. I have an obligation to preach the gospel to those who are high standing in society, have a high standing in society and those who are, who are poor and really just don't know the ways of society. I want to preach to everybody. I have this obligation, and I want to preach to everybody. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a particular group of people with whom you feel comfortable sharing the gospel? Well, if you do, you're ahead of most of us. But I don't think comfort, our comfort level, is what God thinks about when he tells us that we are to share the gospel. It's going to be easier for some than for others, but we are all tasked with spreading the word, and I mean the correct word, about Jesus. Uh, In our text, Paul said that to the Jews or those under the law, he became as one under the law in order to win them. Now, he qualified his position very quickly by saying that he wasn't under uh, the law as far as the Jews were, he didn't have to abide by the ceremonial laws and the rabbinical laws that were added to what was already in Scripture. He he was careful, though, not to do anything to offend those Jews who were outside of Jesus so that he could deliver the truth of grace to very religious and moral people. In a few weeks, we're going to start a study in in the book of Galatians. And Sean and I... In particular, and David is also going to be uh, in that series where we're going to be talking about uh, how it is just absolutely wrong to add the law to grace. We have nothing. If we are saved by grace, then we don't ever look to the law in order to justify a relationship that we have before the Lord. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything, as Tullian Tavigian's book says these days. Uh, but, the, but the emphasis here is on not unnecessarily offending those who are moral yet don't know Jesus. So, and there's no contradiction in that. So Paul says, those under the law, I, I was as one under the law. But then he goes on to say that he is equally committed to sharing Christ with those who were not under the law. Now, now what does he mean by that? Do you remember Paul's pattern when we went through the book of Acts a couple of years ago? He would go into a city and he would go to the synagogue. And he would usually get a favorable hearing in the synagogue, but it wasn't from the Jews. You remember who it was from? Righteous Gentiles. Gentiles who were disgusted with the pagan world of the day. And so they said, you know, the Jews have something here. They're moral people. And I think I'm going to go over there, and they said, okay, you're going to have to convert uh, to Judaism, which was quite a commitment for the men especially. (laughs) Enough said. So 
they were already religiously minded. It's like they were making a move towards God. And, and Paul came along and preached the gospel. And they said, that's it. That's, that's what I've been looking for. Well, that made the Jews jealous. Got them upset. And they tried to kill Paul time after time after time. Have him arrested or even killed. But now he says, I am preaching to those who are outside the law. Look, in some ways, certainly for Paul, it was easiest to see the church established by people who were already thinking about God. But now he's saying, I'm, I'm talking about pagans here. Those who have nothing to do with the law. Because righteous Gentiles were under the law. So he said, I, I live in such a way as to gain an audience. But then he quickly stated that such a lifestyle was not free from the law of Christ. It was free from the burdens that the, that the Jewish leaders put on people who wanted to be identified with God. But it was, it was not free from the law. In other words... <clears throat> he didn't just do anything and everything so people would say, hey, pretty cool dude. Think I'll get saved, you know? To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. They knew what he was talking about. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Would you say that your heart <clears throat> beats like Paul's heart? I, I doubt there are many of us that could say that. Paul goes on to say, you need to be in it to win it! No, wait, yo, yo, yo! Dude, that's Randy Jackson that says that. Paul doesn't say that. Paul does say though, we need to run this race so that we will obtain an incorruptible crown. And there is no competition in this race except the competition that comes from our own flesh. So we conclude this series about our place as a church in God's story by accepting challenges from this text that appear to be individuals, two individuals, <clears throat> but are very much an activity of our body as a whole. Even when it feels like we're flying solo in our own neighborhoods or our families, our church needs to be all about sharing the gospel with the lost. And when you're sharing with somebody, we need to know so that we can be praying. We're all in this together as we pray and support one another in the building of the body that God has established here at Grace Community Church. So let's make an application from our text in a five-fold challenge that calls us to mission to disciple-making. First, think about sharing the gospel every day. If you were going to make a list of, of, of five things that you think about every day and all of your family is one on that list, what would make your list? And don't say, oh, I don't think about five things every day. Yes, you do. There are five things, at least five things that you think about every day. Will make sharing the gospel 
one of those five things. Where you're looking for opportunities, you're just thinking about it. Commit right this minute to thinking about sharing the gospel every day. And that's what the second point is about as well. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. But like Paul did, don't be picky about who you're going to share Christ with. Don't be thinking, that person's too smart for me, or I'm too smart for that person, or that's not the kind, you know, I don't know anything about NASCAR, so I'll get somebody else to witness to this guy. No. Paul said, I became all things to all people. And he prayed constantly. When you look at Paul's letters, he's writing to the church about being partners in the gospel and, and, and um, encouraging them to pray for open doors and saying to take advantage of God, open doors that God gives before you. He, he puts before you to share Christ with others. The more time we spend in the Word and in prayer, the more likely we are to think about sharing the gospel every day. You know, instead of the long title that I gave this message, it, it would have been equally valid to give it a one-word title. Can you think about what that would be? Don't, you don't have to say it, but... There are several words it could be. I asked Allison yesterday. She said, go. That's a good word. Another one, the one that I'm thinking about is obsession. Every time you read the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he's talking about the gospel. He wanted people to know, to live, and to spread the gospel. When we pray about spreading the gospel, we are reminded that this is God's business, not ours. Except that it is very much our business. So much so that the third point is a must. Connect to people with the gospel in mind. It's that important. Now, some people might look at that point and and say... Say, hey, hey, you're just using people then. You're just trying to put notches on the belt. Well, let's think about that for a moment. You're going to humble yourself to do something that is extremely difficult for you to do. And this gospel that you're sharing is going to call people to believe that there is only one way to go to heaven. And unless you believe this, you you run the risk of being called arrogant, small-minded, Everything in the book. But you're telling them the news that if they believe it, you believe with all your heart that they will spend eternity with God in heaven. They'll miss hell. And you're using them? This is a... Well, of course, Satan wants to be in the outreach. He wants to be on that outreach bandwagon. He wants to make evangelism, a fleshly activity on your part. But that's hard to sustain. It really is. Sharing the gospel is, is one of the most humbling things. I mean, you're constantly looking at your own life. And, and look, legalism says, you better not share the gospel with them. Look at who you are. 
Grace tells you to go ahead and share it anyway because it's not you, it's not your good works that makes you right with God. It's the whole point of grace, isn't it? So, the point of this point is to live intentionally, always seeking to discover why God has placed you in a particular family, a neighborhood, a job, a club, And sometimes it's to go into a particular neighborhood, job, or club so that you can share Christ. If the gospel is as important to you as Paul said that it should be, this will not be at all an insincere pursuit. When just one person comes to Christ because of your intentional lifestyle, you'll quickly realize the value of connecting with people with the gospel in mind. But remember, even when you connect, one size doesn't fit all, which is what the fourth challenge acknowledges, and it's, it's a balance to the previous point. Let the gospel naturally flow from your life in Christ. You don't have to force it. In fact, if you force it, it's going to seem like All you care about is just getting somebody to pray a prayer so that you can share the good news with your peeps. That's what happened. That's what came. It just. It's quite obvious that Paul considered evangelism a process. Evangelism, again, is the first leg in the discipleship marathon relay. A little bit of a strange marathon, never heard of it, but it may exist. Sharing the gospel, uh, it takes a lot more time than sharing the plan of salvation. Now, look, this is just something I've I've been thinking about lately, and I'm convinced that that it's right, but because of the way that we tend in America to reduce things to, to the lowest common understanding, we have a way that we present the plan of salvation. That can be done in a very short time. Sharing the gospel, if it's all-encompassing, takes a whole lot longer than sharing the plan of salvation. And it is almost never going to be the case that you meet somebody that knows nothing about God, share the plan of salvation, and they say, whoa, I'm in trouble. I better, I better do this. I'm going to pray. How do you pray that prayer? That's, never, that's rarely going to happen. It may every once in a while, but evangelism, the gospel itself, gospel ministry in a person's life takes time. Do not force the gospel on someone. Let it flow out of a genuine care and relationship. And I know your heart may be breaking. You may want to say, you've got to pray this prayer right now so that you'll miss hell. I don't want you to answer the questions as they come along. Get in as you are able to. The gospel is seen in so many stories, so many ways of life. There are opportunities as long as it doesn't feel forced. You know, you know, the way you were just eating that meat with your fork, it just reminds me of the gospel. Um, you know, don't, don't do that. 
But when they start talking about Hunger Games, you know, and about how, what's her name? I've already forgotten. It's been, it's been a month. Katniss volunteered to take her sister's place. There's opportunity there. I'm still trying to figure out what gospel is in Wicked that I saw last night. Allison and I went to see Wicked last night in Deepak. It was a great show, but I'm, try, I'm still trying to, what, what are they trying to communicate in this thing, you know? I think the occult is good and establishment's bad, something like that. Let the gospel flow out of a genuine care and relationship. Then when someone does respond to the gospel, we'll be ready for the next point, which is really an extension of the truth of our text rather than a direct challenge from our text. We'll move to the next phase of discipleship. Can you imagine how exciting it would be one year from now to have 10 new believers in our body because we shared Christ and they responded to His call and they're hungry for the Word. They want to grow. They want to know everything that they can possibly know about the Lord and His Word. If we will as a church respond to the challenges of this text, I am convinced we'll be there if not sooner. But we got to be all in. And that's, that I am convinced is our role as a church in the 29th chapter. Let's pray.